Welcome back to the Mental Perk Podcast, where we focus on real people, real issues, and real talk. I'm Carla Hutcherson, a licensed professional counselor and the director for the Hannah for Hope Foundation. And I'm Brandy Mock, executive board member for the Hannah for Hope Foundation. We are here to talk about all things mental health, whether it's daily stress, academic pressure, work and career issues, managing a diagnosis, or suicidal and self-harm behaviors. We want this to be a space of honest talk that helps to destigmatize perceptions surrounding mental health issues. Today, we want to introduce our guest speaker, Josh Vasquez, a licensed professional counselor. And Josh is a clinical therapist in the Chronic Pain Clinic at Children's Health. Josh was a veteran of the United States Marine Corps, and we're here to find out about his very interesting story. Hi, Josh. Welcome to Mental Perk. Thank you, everyone, for having me. Pleasure to be here. Well, tell us a little bit about your road into the Marine Corps. Um, It was an interesting one. Um, My dad was in the Marine Corps for 23 years. Um, My mom was in the Marine Corps, believe it or not. Yeah. Your mom Uh, was in the Marine Corps? Yeah. If you met her, you would never, ever believe that she was in the Marine Corps. Um, One of my friends actually just found that out the other day. It was like, your mom was in the Marines? I was like, yeah. (laughs) yeah." Um, Things were a little bit different back in, that was in the 80s, so... Um, she got pregnant with me and got out. So she was only in for a couple of years. Um, long story short, um, I graduated high school, I think in like August, May or August of 2001. And we kind of know what happened in 2001. Um, 9-11 happened. I was in the middle or just started my first semester at a local community college. And, um, I'll be honest, I felt like college for me, at least at that time, was something that everyone was doing, and I felt as if I had to do, or it's like, what else are you going to do, you know? Um, yeah. In my junior year of high school, I had talked with my dad about joining the, the Marine Corps, um, and then that kind of, like, went away, when I think a majority of my friends were going to college, so I was like, okay, I'll do that. And then, you know, um, very quickly, I just, I wasn't motivated I was disciplined, but in a different way, maybe not for academics. I was never a great student. I just, I never studied. I just kind of, I got by, um, you know, very quickly into college. I found out that I was like, okay, this isn't for me. <laughs> and then nine 11 happened. And I remember waking up one morning and I think American on, America online was, was the thing back in, you know, yeah, 2000. Yeah. And, uh, I remember signing on in that morning and, you know, seeing the little news clip and I didn't didn't connect to me. I thought it was, what if this happened type of thing? I didn't even read it. Mm. And I remember getting to campus and then that's when I found out because everyone else was talking about it. And I was like, oh crap. I was like, I'm not, I wouldn't say it was an excuse, but it just, I was like, okay, maybe that Marine Corps thing. And I knew college wasn't for me at that time and I just wasn't motivated for it. And so I, I signed up and I joined the Marine Corps and I was gone in January, 2002. So I was gone pretty quickly. So they deployed you that quickly? Not that quickly. Okay. I, you know, I still had to go to 13 weeks of Marine Corps boot camp, mm-hmm. and then you go to your occupational training. Um, and it wasn't really until 2003 that I got first deployed, and that was on a Marine Expeditionary Unit with a, it's a group of ships, and we kind of we there's they're all over the you know the globe, which is why the Marine Corps can go anywhere within like six hours because they're just strategically put out there. And I was on one of those um, for a while. And then when I came, I was in Japan. I was stationed in Japan at the time. And then I ended up coming back to California, which was lovely. Yes, we love California. Yeah, lived in San Diego. And then it was in 2004 that I 
went to my first deployment to Iraq. Um, well, that had to be an eye opener. It was exciting. I think the Marines have a unique way of uh, molding young minds into thinking they are invincible. Uh, I think it's a young man's game. It's not, if you would have asked me if I would do that today, I would have a lot of apprehension and a lot of questions. <laughs> um, I think, you know, you feel, in, I mean, I think that's not just goes with the military, but I think young people in general feel like they're invincible. Yeah, I agree know? with that. And uh, you will, you're willing to do a lot more, take more risk than you would if you're older and you've got, you know, a good job and a family and, and things of that nature. But so I ended up uh, doing two tours in Iraq. I ended up getting out of the Marine Corps in October of 2006 so I did about four and a half years. Um, and how, how did those four and a half years and the experiences that you have, how did that like play into your own mental health? It's really weird. And I think it's, I don't want to say it's unique to, to veterans. I think when you're actively serving and in the military, you really don't think about your mental health whatsoever. You don't really, at least for me, I didn't really notice the toll or the effect that it had on me because you're around all those people constantly that it's, it's the norm. It, it's what you do. It's your job. Um, it's what's expected of you. And then I don't think a lot of veterans even really notice until they finally get out and they're in the civilian world. And then all of that kind of like hits them like, okay, well, well what now? What's my purpose? What's, what do I do? Like, who am I looking after? What's my mission? Um, you know, and, and you've got that kind of high sense of anxiety or, you know, alertness, and now you don't have to do that, but it's still there. Um, so, yeah, that, that, I mean, I think for me during during it, I didn't really notice um, quite so much. Um, definitely changed after the first tour, though, I would say that. Mm -hmm. I used to be pretty intro I'm still introverted, but more introverted, didn't go out, didn't go out to the clubs or hang, you know, do things like that. When, before my deployment, my friends were going to Vegas and I, I stayed in the barracks and I didn't you know, play video games most likely. <laughs> hey, I still do that now. Um, but um, yeah, I didn't. And, but after the first tour that, that, that changed quite a bit. Um, do you feel like you were mentally prepared? Do you feel like the military prepared you for what you were getting yourself into? Oh, absolutely. And as we were saying, I think the Marine Corps does a excellent job of, of doing that. Um, very prepared in it, you know, in a, I think most people would think it, I don't want to say sick, but we, it's like we, we wanted it, sure. I mean, wanted it bad. I mean, it's something that, you know, the Marine Corps just drills in your head. And I think that's why they make such great war fighters. Was I afraid? Absolutely. Yeah. But was I excited? Oh yeah. I mean, it's most Marines, especially if you go into a job where you, you know, it's a combat deployment. And most people that joined after 9-11 that went to a certain job, they knew kind of what they were signing up, you know, signing up for. And so we were definitely prepared, 100% felt prepared, was excited, but also, you know, you know, scared at sure. the same time. Yeah, Josh and I, we worked together at Children's Health and, you know, for several years. And, um, you know, Josh is not one to much talk about himself or talk about his <laughs> stories in the military. I mean, I knew he had seen some things and heard some things mm -hmm. that were probably, you know, probably still weighing on him. I know you walked out with some even physical deficits. Yeah, um, we, well, in 2004, my best friend was killed in Iraq by an IED, you know, mm -hmm. improvised explosive device. And I think most people would be pretty surprised to 
to kind of see what kind of vehicles we were rolling around then. I like to call the early parts of the war, like 2004 to like 2006, were like the wild, wild west. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was very much, we had our Humvees, but they weren't armored up. So we had to like find scrap and we were putting armor and welding, you know, shields and things like that on, on our on our Humvees. So, I mean, that changed when I went back on my second. We actually had up on our Humvees, which, you know, was, was awesome. But yes, I mean, it was it was very different. And so anyway, he 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 was killed during our first tour. And then we had a bunch we had wounded, of course, you know, a lot of wounded. Um, And then I think total, at least during the time when I was in in the tours I was on, it was we lost about seven, Um, you know, not that many wounded, but seven total at least killed in action for sure. Now, after losing your mates, was it hard for you to focus on getting back out into the field after knowing you just lost your best friend? I mean, how did you stay focused on the mission? It's, it's, it's a, it's a unique situation where, um, so just to give you guys a little background about what I did over there. Um, I, our, we had two teams, so, um, we just alternated days and then on our off days, because there's no, <laughs> we, we would do patrols. So we, on our patrol days, we would patrol, you know, from like five in, in the afternoon till about eight in the morning. Um, and we would patrol up and down the roads. And then when it got dark, we would go off the roads. We turn on our night vision and we kind of just wait for someone to like try to plant a roadside bomb or anything like that on our on days um, that we would work like two on, two off, something like that. Um, we would, um, provide security for EOD, which is explosive ordnance disposal. And so any, we were on call 24 seven. So anytime, you know, we, um, not we, but we, oh yeah, we, we, we would receive a call from an army unit, a Marine Corps unit or whatever unit was out there. Um, and they would, these, you know, another truck got hit with an ID. Was there a car ID? Was there a suspected ID? They would call us out there and we would have to figure out, you know, whether it be a post-blast analysis, like what was it, you know, try to figure that out or try to send a robot up there and disarm it. And if that didn't work, which robots were kind of, they get blown up half the time. <laughs> and then, you know, we would have to, you know, send an EOD tech up there. And so our job was to provide security for them. And so there would be a total of five trucks, one in the middle, uh, the EOD truck in the middle, and we would escort them out there and, you know, provide perimeter and security for them and, so that that's that's kind of what we did. It was pretty pretty crazy job. Yeah, it sounds like a crazy job, and I can imagine that you still have thoughts about it. Or oh yeah, I mean it's 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 a weird thing that I mean I was I joined when I was was I eighteen? No, nineteen. I think I was nineteen. Joined when I was nineteen, and got out when I was. 24 I think Mm -hmm. um so young I mean we don't even think about how (laughs) young yeah but you imagine how much you grew up in those five years oh absolutely I mean you can look at pictures between first deployment before first deployment and and like when I I mean it's like shaving no shaving yeah (laughs) you can see you can see the 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 age you know on people's faces which is pretty incredible well we were kind of talking about you know I'm sure that you are still have thoughts of, or oh, feelings about yeah. things that and happened back yeah, then. Yeah, what I was getting at was it seems as it's been so long. I'm 40 now. I mean, it seems forever mm-hmm. ago. And it parts of me seems like it never even happened because it seems like a completely different life. 
but I also think that's been something that's helped me mm-hmm. is that I've able I've been able to find a different career path and find a different goal and do something and that I think that's why it feels that way um, but yes I mean even though I have all these other things going on I mean this is de- it's definitely something that I'll never forget you know that I mean there's probably not a day that goes by that I don't think about it um, some days are easy some days are harder you know especially around those anniversaries mm-hmm. or those times where like I know that a friend passed away or things like that or you know I, I think those days can be harder um, but I'm thankful for you know all, everything that I have now um, definitely it makes it easier but definitely yes uh, I don't yeah. I don't think there's a day that goes by that I don't think I, about it I think when you serve in in the military especially like the Marine Corps you have a different appreciation for life and the things around you and the freedoms that we have here. Yes. Maybe more so than people who don't have that experience. Well, and I think also, too, you truly have an understanding of brotherhood. Oh, yeah. I got your back. Yes. When you hear one of your brothers say, I've got your back, those mm. boys have your back. And it's not just while you're active. Oh, yeah. It's throughout life. Yeah. And 100%. I'm, and I, yes. And I'm still, um, you know, you fall, I think it's naturally you, f- you fall out of touch with some people, but there is at least a good three or four that I served with that we still talk weekly. Yes. I've seen them. I see them at least two times a year. I mean, so, yeah. Now, when you reconnect with these guys, I mean, do y'all ever go through that, down that road of like, hey, dude, I'm struggling. Like, I really kind of need to talk. I've, you know, whether it's around a time of year where y'all lost one of your comrades, do you do you talk about it or? Yes and no. Um, I wish... Um, I think me being a counselor, um, I mean, that definitely has helped me quite a bit um, in a way, f- you know, forced me <laughs> to get to my emotional side and, yeah. and and be willing to talk about those things, especially if I'm when I want my clients to talk about those things. Yeah. I better, you know, and I, I think I'm really good at that. I don't, I would say that most of my friends are just, they really struggle, struggle in that department quite a bit. Um, um, there'll be times like, and I would say once or twice that I can think of that, you know, one of those anniversaries will come around and they'll they'll mention you know hey like so and so passed away to you know just kind of give a Mm -hmm. reminder and you know how are you doing good but it's always i'm doing good it's very surface level it's almost never um even if you directly ask them which i will tend to be it sometimes be pretty blunt Mm -hmm. you know i i see x y and z like are you okay it's always like they're okay and i think that's you know it could be a I want to say it's a guy thing, but it could be. A, <laughs> well, <laughs> and we're going to get into some of these statistics mm-hmm. around veterans and mental health. But I just think it's so interesting that you leave the Marine Corps. You've had these traumatic experiences and you chose counseling as yes. your path. Yeah. I, Especially for a guy who doesn't <laughs> like college. Right. So this yeah. is very rigorous study going on. Yeah. Here. I felt um, once I got out, it was OK. Now what? But I felt. I felt I after two tours and I mean they were pretty dangerous mm-hmm. and I was like okay I think I'm I'm playing I'm rolling I'm gonna get a roll bad roll of the dice eventually if I keep you know going back um, so I got out and I was like I got, I'm gonna go to college so I moved back home um, with my dad and I started at the local community college and I think um, you know back in 2001 I wasn't ready for school but. After everything, I was like, I can do this now. And um, like I said, not that I wasn't disciplined before because my dad was a former Marine, and uh, but I was definitely ready. It was like, okay, now 
almost like the pressure was on. I'm 24. I need to do something. Yeah. And so I think it was that outlook that I had. Why counseling? Why'd you pick counseling of oh, all things? I feel like counseling picked me almost. <laughs> wow. um, yeah, if you would have asked me back then, one, would I, where I, would I be where I am now? I'd be like, no. Working with kids, you know, one, working with kids, period. <laughs> to be a counselor, um, not at all, because I was never a good student. So I just thought maybe, I never thought I wasn't smart enough, but I definitely, uh, as I said earlier, I didn't apply myself. So, you know, after college, I, I, I did my undergrad was in applied behavior analysis. And so the plan was to go to graduate school then afterwards, after my undergrad and um, get my um, BCBA. And so I was working towards that, at least getting my ABCBA, my assistant board certified behavior analyst. And so I was um, working with this agency, working with a family, you know, working with kids that way. And then I, I don't really know what happened with that. I it just wasn't a good fit. And then my friend that I was doing jujitsu with at the time was working at this after-school program in Denton. And um, he's like, I needed a job. And I was like, okay. So, you know, we'd help with their homework. We'd take them out to play tetherball and kickball and things like that. And so I did that. And so it's really weird. Someone that was, you know, never really interested in working with kids, um, continued to find their way working with kids, you know? <laughs> they just kept crossing your path. <laughs> exactly. You know? And then um, I got a, after I graduated, I got a job at Children's. And so, you know, working in the inpatient, and you know, psychiatric unit and getting to see all different kinds of roles, you know, psychiatrists, psychologists, clinical therapists, nurses. And then I was just like, I think I might want to do, you know, therapists. Let me try that. And that's kind of how kinda, it started. Kind of how it happened. Yeah. So did you ever think that you might work with veterans or do you feel like that's too much for you, that, that this is a better lane for you? No, I mean, I... It's definitely crossed my mind. It's just that opportunity hasn't really um, presented itself. And I think that I've really found myself to really enjoy doing what I do yeah. in the population that I do. I do think that veterans can benefit from having someone that I think that they would perceive as understanding them mm-hmm. better. Yeah. But I think that is a huge barrier that 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 has to be eradicated at least you know, in their mind. How do you think that that is something, I know, loaded question, Yeah. but how do you think that's something that you guys, or that it can be changed to where they, they're transitioned into that more? Yes, definitely. You know, I think when you have such a unique experience, such as, you know, combat, it's, you know, if you feel that someone else hasn't been through that, Mm -hmm. that they can't, there's no way that they can understand um, what they're going through, you know, what they've seen. And I think as, you know, therapists we we know that you know definitely no one ever is going to be able to experience the same exact thing as as you yeah and so it's but we all experience those emotions we've all been scared we've all been terrified we've all been sad depressed or anxious you know which are all those feelings that you Mm -hmm. experience you know in that unique situation and even if we went through the same experience it doesn't mean that we're all going to have the same experience right right you're going to feel it differently you're going to remember it differently exactly i might think it's awesome it could be as easy as like uh, analogy that i throw around when i work with kids you know um you know, they're like, you didn't get it. I was like, okay, well, or their parents, they don't, they feel like their parents don't get it. Right. You know, it's like, well, let's pretend we get on a roller coaster. Do you like roller coasters? Yes. I was like, well, 
I hate them, and I and I, I, don't, I don't care for them. That's true. Uh, <laughs> Who does? Yeah. Right? <laughs> <I don't either. laughs> okay, good. We're all on the same page. Um, but you know, we could finish the roller coaster, and I might be about to throw up, sick. Mm-hmm. You know, this was terrible, and you're like, "Oh, let's do it again." Yeah. Same roller coaster. We sat next to each other. We had two different experiences. Yeah, you know, exactly. Great analogy. Yeah, yeah. I love that one. I was thinking roller coaster when before you said that. So really? I'm so glad you said it. But <laughs> yes, you know, and I think. You know, as you as we talk about the mental health field, we know that we are short on counselors. There's not enough mm-hmm. counselors. I think there's like one counselor for every like 345 or 54 people, right? So we know we don't have enough counselors nationwide. And I'm sure in, in the in the world of veterans, that's even harder to come by. I know resources aren't always mm-hmm. easily available to them. Actually, we know actually from the D- Department of Veteran Affairs that there's an increase 90 percent, 90 percent. Um, are needing mental health care out of veterans. And so we don't have enough yeah. counselors to help all, all of them. Um, so what is your experience with that? What do you feel like some of like your friends or people that you were in service with or people that you're hearing about now, what kind, how, how likely are they to get care if they need it? Hmm. At least in my experience, not likely, mm-hmm. or they've tried it out for a very short period of time and, they just felt as if it didn't work for them. Is it because you think that they're not going deep enough or they're not connecting because experiences aren't the same? Or, you know, a lot of, I know a lot of veterans that feel like the system's kind of broken and failed them. Mm. So, I mean, what do you think it is? I mean, do you think they're, they're hesitant because they know that systems need some fixing? I mean, yeah, I, what do you think? I, I think part of it is, you know, at least when I got out back in 2006, I mean, I will say... Not that I've been back to the VA as far as for, like, mental health, mm-hmm. um, you know, for therapy or anything like that since then for, for that specifically. But things are a lot different now, and I will give them credit as far as I think they've worked really hard and have tried the best that they can. But I think the the need is, is – I mean, just like in the community mm-hmm. in general, there's so much need and not enough resources. Yeah. Um, and I think the one thing that, you know, I think, you know, the VA uses – CBT, they use processing, you know, kind of like exposure therapy, right. uh, EMDR, and those are great. I mean, I know that we use them, you know, where I work, mm-hmm. but I, I just feel... So that, let me stop you, though. Yeah. For the lay person that doesn't know what, mm-hmm. what those mean, can you explain to me, to the person out there that doesn't know what you just said? Yeah, so they use, you know, cognitive processing therapy. It's a form of CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. So, you know, you're learning skills to manage your PTSD, which teaches you how to change your negative thoughts about your trauma, which can have a big impact, obviously, on your mood and how you feel. And so that's one of the main ones that they use. Um, They also will have, you know, like spouses join, which I think is fantastic. I think so too, yeah. Because, I mean, you're living with that veteran. I can't imagine, you know, what that's like. And I don't know that we consider the trauma that the wives of and, and husbands of veterans also feel knowing their loved ones across in some kind of situation that could be unbearable right exactly so and the thought of just you know not knowing is just really difficult for them too and i'm sure that the mental health there is also a challenge it, yeah. it, it, i can tell you personal experience 13 years of it nine wow. month deployments at yeah. a time there's that lost connection. They come back, and you just you have to relearn things again. Yeah, mm-hmm. and knowing not knowing what they exactly dealt with is is hard. Yeah. So I can't imagine the readjustment, and it takes a it takes a village. It does. It takes a team, and and the wives. I think that's the one thing the wives really 
have to be that support system for their husbands. Yeah. They yeah. really do. I think it takes a very, at least, um, you know, when I first got out and I was seeing a therapist, um, <laughs> she said, um, it's going to take a very special person. <laughs> in order to <laughs> and I, I think it, it does. I truly believe that, Josh. It <laughs> takes a very special person exactly. for you. Exactly. But yeah, uh, the exposure therapy, so that, that helps them, you know, confront situations and memories, you know, that they've avoided, mm-hmm. you know, since the trauma. Uh, EMDR, which I know that we, we've all heard about, but the eye movement desensitization reprocessing. So thinking about images and feelings um, that distress you while doing, you know, rapid eye movements. Um, that can and that's a big player when it comes to PTSD, yeah. right? Yeah. So that's mm. that's for trauma and PTSD. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a therapy that that's been mm. researched to prove effective. Yeah, definitely. And so they're very in very into, um, you know, evidence based. Mm-hmm. I think evidence-based is great. I mean, we, we know that it's effective. We know that it, that it works. Um, however, I, th- I would imagine with such a big need, and I'm making an assumption here, but you lose that, I think, that personal piece that I think, mm-hmm. which makes counseling so special and so different in a lot of ways, is that, you know, I love that person-centered, you know, approach. And I think that can get lost, especially when it's like, it's almost as if, Get them in, get them out. You have three to four months, mm. you know. You must hit this many skills. You need to have this much improvement. Exactly. It's measured in percentages. Mm. And so it kind of takes out yeah. that personalization. Yeah, and so some of my friends that have done therapy, that's all they think it is. Yeah. Learning coping skills, doing, you know, and it's yeah. like, I'm like, there's so much more to that, you know, that I feel like you're missing. And I almost want them to, you know, no offense to the, the, the VA, but go see a civilian counselor. Mm-hmm. But then you've got those other barriers. Like, well, they're not going to get me. I'm like. And, you know. But what you're talking about is really about empathy and validation. And those are two things that every human being needs. And I think that that's where veterans are feeling they're not getting that. They're not getting that empathy and validation that they really need for healing. Yes. Yeah. And if we kind of going back to even the statistics, if we look 11 to 20 percent of veterans leave with PTSD or they develop it later after Mm -hmm. they've discharged. Um, And we also know about 20 percent they have maybe I, I would say more, I would probably say more struggling with some sort of um, major depressive disorder. Yeah, I would say, you know, the three barriers that, you know, on the on the Veterans Affairs website is, you know, perceptual barriers. So um, lack of perceived need. Um, mm-hmm. And this goes for, I think, not not just veterans, but non-veterans. I mean, yeah, I think we all tend to underestimate how bad we're struggling. Mm-hmm. And veterans, of course, you know, and I think that has a lot to do with the military culture. And the way they're indoctrinated, you know, you don't talk about your feelings, you're, you're this, this and that you don't, you don't talk about when you're hurting or, you know, you don't feel good, you just kind of push through. And I think, you know, that's great for a certain amount of time. But, you know, it almost makes me think of when you guys are in the field and mm-hmm. things are going chaotic around yes. you, you're losing your mm-hmm. comrades. And then all of a sudden you come back and you're like, if I could get through that. Yes. I don't even need to talk about this. Yeah, Is that kind of the yeah, mentality? Thing? Definitely. It, you've got to car, compartmentalize, you know, you know, at, at the time, you know, this is my goal. I, I got to like take that and put that somewhere else for right now because mm-hmm. I've got to make sure that I've, I still have this mission. I still have this to do. It's, the, it's when that mission is done, then, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to come somhere. It's gonna. And that compartmentalizing is something that is a CBT skill as well. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's kind definitely. of funny that you're doing it in the field, yeah. and then you're also learning that yeah. in therapy. But, but a lot of veterans will drop out of treatment because they think, you know, the lack of perceived need, they don't need it, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so, uh, well, 
or, or this isn't working, low mental health literacy and just the lack of awareness of their mm-hmm. own emotions in general. And, you know, trauma is a, is a funny beast because it can, you may not have trauma or when you have a traumatic situation, you may not have the effects of it for years down the mm-hmm. road, right? right? It's not always something that's immediate. Yes. It could hit you five or 10 years down the road and you don't even know what hit you. So it's just, it's a, it's a very strange thing because a lot of these veterans are like, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then boom, it hits them years down the road yep. yes. and, the, and they don't know how to deal with it. And I see a lot of friends, um, I've had a couple of buddies who have recently retired, um, one that re- retired within the last year that I served in Iraq with two tours in Iraq with and another one who retired probably in 2018, 2019 um, that I served two tours in Iraq with. And it's for a lot of them, it isn't until they either the, they know they're about to retire and things. And obviously, you know, with most jobs, you know, the longer that you've been in it, the I won't say the cushier it gets, but yeah. you know what I mean? You're not going on deployments, you yeah, know, that's exactly. a, you know, it's a young, younger person's thing being thrusted in that role. And so when they get out, it's, you know, and I, one that I'm really, really close with, um, and I could see it. Like I, I knew it in just, you know, they're not, they're not wanting to talk about it. And eventually they did, which is great. Um, but I think it's not until, at least for some, it's not until it's, you know, it's not just, okay, I got out. It's now what, what am I going to do to make money? I've got a family. I mean, it's a whole another, uh, you know, just a lot of other stressors and issues yeah. and worries on top of all of that, which exacerbates all of those other things. Yeah, and that brings me, because Brandy and I uh, work with Hannah for Hope Foundation, mm-hmm. and Hannah for Hope focuses on suicide prevention. And what we know right now is suicide is the second leading cause of death for veterans under the age of 45. That's a really high number. We also know that 22 veterans die by suicide every day. Yeah, That's too many. It's, These are people that fought for our country, and we've mm-hmm. got to do something to help them. We've got to find a way to make sure that veterans are connected to mental health care. I agree. Yeah, I think that that's kind of a passion, uh, you know, about all of us is, um, you know, how do we how do we make sure that they're not lost in the dust? How do we make sure that we're bringing this issue, you know, to the surface and really getting them help? And I would even emphasize it's more than just on Memorial Day or Veterans Day. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, I mean, I think that that's when everybody comes together. But this is a daily struggle for you guys. Definitely. You know, and it's something we absolutely need to do more with for sure. Yeah, I agree. And I hope that, you know, at Mendel Park here, we can start to raise awareness about that and bring that to the forefront. Um, you know, I also know that there's like a high percentage of substance use. Can you, you can you tell me a little bit about that or abuse or, you know? Yeah, um, definitely, you know, and not just with the Marine Corps. I can speak to the Marine Corps <laughs> in, uh, in, uh, in general, but I mean, we uh, definitely like to, to drink, you know? Um, and, you know, I think a lot of veterans will use that as a way to cope mm-hmm. and That's to mas- yeah, master feelings. And you were absolutely right. I have, you know, close personal friends who have, you know, even non-veterans that have battled, you know, uh, alcoholism or whether it be some or both substance abuse as well. Yeah. Um, I'll, I've, I've had friends that have been sober for two, three years. I've had friends that have relapsed. Um, but yes, it is definitely not for all. Um, but I've, you know, definitely, at least personally for me, I know that there, I have several close friends that have struggled with substance abuse of some sort and, and continue to do so. Um, you know, being a therapist, I mean, I can see 
what what it is. It's 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 a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. It's a way yeah. to cope. It's a way to relax and kind of numb numb themselves to some way. Does the military provide any training or education around how easy it is to slip into a substance use disorder? Um, I can only speak. I mean, like I said, I got out in two thousand six. Mm-hmm. I, I would. I would, I would I would hope that it's a lot better now. I know that they're a lot more impro- they're improved in a lot of other in a lot of ways. I just can't speak to what it was what it is now, but then not really. I mean, every week when we would get like a safety brief, you know, like hey, don't drink too much, you know, <laughs> practice moderation, don't be on the new, you know, <laughs> don't be on kind of like the billboards <laughs> on the street that says don't drink and drive and buckle up. Exactly. Yeah. Very very brief, very superficial. When I got out, there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of encouragement to go get help, or mm-hmm. in the VA system, I don't wasn't prepared, and they're not you know they're not as well equipped as they are now, even though they're still not as equipped as they really should be. But I think a lot of that is out of their control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is a problem. Uh, but but n- at least when I was in, not a whole lot of education for sure on that. Um, not that any that most people would pay attention to, I guess. But. Yeah, because they're just trying to do what it takes to get by in those mm-hmm. moments. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and to I try not to have to feel the feelings they're probably feeling. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know what, Josh? There's something that you do every year, and I want you to tell us about it. It's a really cool thing. And is it? Oh, is it on Veterans Day or Memorial oh. Day where you do? Because you're like a big cross train. Oh, um, yeah. What is it where you put on all the weight uh, and you yeah. do? So uh, I do CrossFit, and uh, CrossFit does this thing every Memorial Day called Murph, and it is. I haven't. I, I, I mean, I know that you've known me when I've done it. <laughs> I'm a little bit older. My body's a little bit beat up. I can't do it like I used to, but it's, uh, so Michael Murphy was a Navy SEAL, um, who was, um, if you guys have ever seen the movie Lone Survivor, uh-huh. it's, it's, it's named after him, uh, awarded the Medal of Honor. Um, long story short, um, CrossFit has a workout called Murph and it's one of the workouts that he liked to do. And so you put on a 20 pound vest, you run a mile, you do, man, what is it? I think it's 300, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, and then you run another mile. Is that with band assistance on the pull-ups? You can. Definitely okay. there are <laughs> scaling sure. options for everybody. You do definitely, you definitely do not have to wear a vest. People do without the vest. People do half of it. Um, it's, you know, CrossFit does it in a way just to kind of honor, mm-hmm. you know, the veterans. And they do it on Memorial Day, of course. Um, but, yes, um, that is the workout. <laughs> well, I love that. No, every time you used to do that, I would be so impressed. And I just, I mean, it just made me think, wow. I mean, you just have such strong character anyway. And the work that you do at Children's, I know you're using all of your skills and talents to really help children. And uh, the you're now in the pain clinic, which I'm sure those kids um, have a lot of trauma as well, dealing with their physical uh, pain that they're going through. So I know you have some a connection there with them. Anything that you want to share or anything that's kind of close to your heart on when it comes to veterans and mental health or that you would want people to know or be able to connect to? Yeah, so I've been a part of this organization for about three years. It's called uh, Operation Pay It Forward. I mean, I think we've all heard of the pay it forward. You know, mm-hmm. you do someone does something nice for you and they're like, you need to pay it forward. You need to do something nice for them. So I got involved with it in 2020. Um a veteran, a friend of mine who was part of this organization already, um, took me out on a mule deer hunt in Utah. I took a buddy out on a mountain lion hunt, and I think it was 20, 2021. 
Um, but that's kind of the goal. And so, you know, there's a lot of nonprofits out there for veterans. Um, but you, I think most of us know with most nonprofits, there's such a small percentage of the actual mm -hmm. dollar that's going towards whatever the cause is, whatever, you know, they're supporting. You know, Operation Pay It Forward has zero on their board. There's zero paid positions. And so, I mean, 100% of their proceeds go to the veterans. And every year we have a really big fundraiser in, in Utah. And um, I just came back from one like two weeks ago. So it's like completely funded by just like the generosity of, you know, people wanting to make donations. And I have their mission statement. I can read it for you guys. Yeah, we'd love to. Yes. I would love for you to. And there are many organizations out there that are actually helping veterans. And we really want to draw attention to those as you're looking mm -hmm. for the motto. Um, I just wanted to, you know, bring a, f a few of those to forward. I know there's like tunnels for towers. There's wounded mm -hmm. warrior. There's carry the load. Carry the load. and Carry, carry the load. on. Yes. There's a bunch of them out there, but this, uh, you know, pay it forward. And, and if you're out there and you're listening and you really have a heart for veterans and you really want to, you know, help, um, you know, with the mental health health crisis that's uh, facing veterans, please reach out to some of these org organizations and see how you can help. Yeah, it's um, their website specifically um, is OPIF, the number four, uh, ourvets.org. And so their mission statement is, our mission is to show our appreciation for our fighting veterans by connecting them with others that share the same passions and are willing to get them into the outdoors and enjoying life again. So I know I'm, this is not part of their mission statement, but it's like recreational mm -hmm. therapy in mm -hmm. a way. Yeah. Um, you know, we challenge all of our veterans that participate in the pay it forward by spreading the word to their brothers and sisters that need help or could use some time in the outdoors to refocus their minds on the important things in life. Operation Pay It Forward was founded and organized by veterans that understand the healing process and by help by providing a new focus and mission for these veterans. One of the biggest voids um, is from the lack of camaraderie and brotherhood that has kept them alive in combat situations. And in civilian life, this is most easily duplicated by spending time in the field, hunting, fishing, or simply enjoying the outdoors. Our goal is to provide a new focus for our returning veterans and provide them with a new mission to help save their brothers and sisters they served with. The enemy in civilian life is often within the veteran and much more difficult to identify and fight. Um, and we are here to help the battle. And it doesn't always have to be a big hunting event or anything. You know, right. take a veteran to go golfing, to dinner, to lunch. You know, it's it's just about doing those little things. And OPIF pays 100% of all of those things. And I that's, love that. Yeah, love that's it. amazing. That's yeah, yeah, getting them out and just doing mm. things and feeling normal and connecting with people. Yeah. That has to be so therapeutic. It is. It's awesome. That is so amazing. And, you know, Josh, we can't thank you enough for your service and the yes. sacrifices that you made for our country and just the work that you're doing now with uh, children and families and, and, and you know, really focusing on mental health and, and helping people through that. That's just absolutely amazing. We always want to remind you, our listeners, that if you are out there and you're struggling with mental health issues, please reach out to somebody. There's therapists, there's counselors, there's psychiatrists, they're all out there. Um, and even if that, if you're not able to locate a professional, please talk to a trusted friend or a relative to let them know you're struggling so that we can get you connected uh, to uh, some therapy. We know that when you're dealing with mental health crisis, that it is treatable. There's things that we can do and there's things that, you know, there's all kinds of treatments that can help you. You don't have to suffer through this alone. If you are struggling with uh, self-harm or suicidal thoughts, well, we want you to go to the nearest ER, call 911 or reach out to the National Suicide Hotline at 988. Thank you so much for tuning in to The Mental Perk. We hope our talk today highlighted real people working through real issues based on mental health. Our goal at Mental Perk is to make sure that everybody knows 
You matter. You're never alone. alone.